It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast, post-Soviet football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Manu Vef, and as always, I'm joined by Tim. Tim, it's it's been hard being on the West Coast, getting up this early. I don't know how you did it when I was over in Europe. No, it's great. Oh, I'm loving it. This is great. Um, no, um, I'm excited for the show and the the weather conditions are super. I, I love it. Coming from Siberia and having the great... Uh, Summer here, it's, 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 I like this. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess we're very lucky. Um, you know, I really wonder, because we do have someone who's usually in Siberia, but he's currently in England. And I wonder if he's really affected by this heat wave. I know he doesn't do very well in heat, Tim. And that's Andrew Flint. Andrew, how are you doing? Well, I'm surviving just about because it is pretty hot. It's pushing 15 degrees today, but I'll survive for now. Um, heat wave in England. Yeah. Right? Say again. Heat wave in England. <laughs> yeah, actually, it has been. Uh, it has been, but um, today it's more manageable. So uh, I'm I'm doing okay at the moment. Ah, it's good to hear. Well, boys, we are joined by someone very special today. Um, someone who's been involved in the football network, I believe, for four four years now, and that's Saul Pope. Um, anyone who doesn't know him, shame on you. He writes a lot for Football Grad, and has been on the pod. As we found out today, 18 months ago, Saul, how are you doing? Hi there, yeah, I'm fine. Thank you very much for a lovely welcome as well. Um, I'm in England too, and yes, there is a heat wave. It's, you know, all the grass is dead, um, but it's the 1st of August and it's about plus 24 outside, so I'm not complaining. It's not often that happens over here. Yeah, yeah. having lived in England, I know that the that any day above 20 is a, is a blessing, so... Um, I, I I think that you shouldn't be complaining too much, Andrew. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, but we, we you oh, know, let's let's leave England and the weather alone, right? And uh, chat about some some Russian football Premier League. Actually, oh, you know, now I've done it again. It's the Russian Premier League now, isn't it, Tim? Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. I'm still used to the FPL thing. It's so hard to transition to the new uh, thing, to the new I don't know abbreviation. How we called abbreviation? Yeah. It's, we were actually sent a message, um, Andrew, by one of our readers on Twitter saying at first he was a fan of the new bear logo and now he doesn't like the bear logo at all because of the patch on the jersey. <laughs> now we have given our opinion on that. Um, any second thoughts on it? I, I think, I think really anybody who spends more than five seconds assessing any rebranding logo is, is kind of missing the point. Um, but the bear is good. Let's let's just leave it at that. I think it's, I think it's a good good rebranding, but rebranding doesn't matter anyway. So um, <laughs> the product on the pitch is uh, is what we're focusing on today, I think. Um, yeah. And how much it has the roar of a Russian bear, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your opinion on the Russian bear and the logo? The bear stays. The bear stays. What about the badge? <laughs> the badge. Yeah, I mean it's. Um... At first, I thought it looked awful, you know, and especially when it had the red eyes, like it's hung over. It <laughs> but um, the, the, it's weird, though, but the new, the new one with the white eyes, seriously, so, I don't know, it's got something about it. And the way that they've kind of used the colours of the flag there as well, it's it's really grown on me in the last couple of weeks. So I'm happy with it. I certainly think it's it's a stronger image and, a I don't know, a brighter image than the English Premier League. You know, that got rebranded, I think, a year ago. 
but that kind of slightly wimpier looking lion and i think that this is better i think definitely so the bear stays for me the the wimpy looking lion against the uh russian bear i guess we'll find out how that all goes in the europa and champions league a little <laughs> bit a little bit off still on on that regard um but yeah let's talk about the the product on the pitch and um i look at the results and i see one two three five eight eight goals that's not eight a lot goal. that's a half a goal a game um on match day one what's your opinion on that Saul is that just teams still trying to get their bearings uh, on the first match day quite possibly I mean yeah it's a, it's a it's a goal a game isn't it it's not particularly good it's not the lowest there was I, I had a little look at this and in 2006 there were six goals scored over eight games at one point um, and particularly it was brought to my attention it was a problem that there's a TV program in Russia where they have you know the five best goals of the round and it was a bit disappointing for them to basically have to put all six in that week because there was you know there was no way of narrowing it down to five great goals <laughs> but um and I guess it's a similar problem at the moment really yeah it's the start of the season isn't it and it's you know results at this point I think are always imposters to some degree and performances are as well it's it's hard to kind of draw any conclusions, but having said that, and I, you know we're going to come on to attendances a little bit later, aren't we? But if it remains like this, and there's a possibility it will remain fairly low scoring, Russian football's not known for for high scoring matches. That's probably going to have an impact on these big positive attendances, isn't it? Yeah, um, I want to chat about that in a moment. First, I, I want to get uh, Tim and Andrew in this conversation. What did you guys make? of the and it is low i mean we've talked many times about how few goals are scored in russian football and that's that's usually because of tactics right a lot of teams play um sometimes with five in the back um tim do you think this is a trend or is it really just because i mean teams are still signing big players as we speak is this really just teams still trying to sort out what kind of football they want to play so they're just being overly careful as they're sort of narrowing down their squats, um, adjusting their squats? I'm not sure what the reason is, but I'm definitely surprised by it because usually in the past few years and then the league started in the summertime, those few first um, ma match fixtures in the summertime, they're always very exciting with um, quite a few goals being scored. And then once the weather conditions go go down, uh, and then usually the, the average goal per game follows it. And uh, usually when we get to, this, to the winter times, the, when this is when we see very, very low scoring. Uh, but usually in the summertime and even back in the day when we played them throughout the year, then the season started in, in let's say, in March. Uh, still, during the summertime, you, we always had good football and um, a little bit more uh, goals per game. So to be quite honest, I'm not sure what, what's the story. This one, I don't think we should draw many conclusions from just one match day. If this trend continues over, let's say, five games until september then we can kind of summarize and look at this at it at this as a trend but um to be quite honest i don't have um one good uh reason for you i just watched a couple of games i watched highlights of all games and the, a couple of games have their stories couple of red cards in 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 those games and uh, we in a couple of teams which really really play defensive game for example like Anji uh in the ekaterinburg uh same it goes as my team spartak they played against a very defensive side so um, i don't think we should draw conclusions to summarize uh this but i'm surprised by this because always uh, my favorite time really to watch russian premier league is in the beginning of the season and in the end of the season because in the beginning is everyone excited to kind of miss this league and it's still the good uh good uh, good weather and the team's excited to play and obviously in the end of the season when again we have better weather and there's a lot um on the you know a lot to play for so i don't know let's let's uh, watch out for the couple of next match days and hopefully this will change because really eight games per eight so eight goals eight per eight games is kind of boring yeah it doesn't make for happy reading andrew any thoughts from you on what happened on match day one yeah i i echo a bit of what both guys have just said to be honest the um uh the dynamo moscow game i mean that was dictated by a red card in the seventh minute and Shutting up shot when you're down to 10 men away from home, it's understandable in a way. Uh, Ufa could have beaten Lokomotiv that late penalty 
um, yeah. from Sylvester Igbun. And to be fair, Igbun was running them ragged for a large part of the game and probably could and possibly even should have scored before the penalty itself. Um, and then Tisga, of course, they were without Alan Tugoyev and, of course, they've also lost a large part of their midfield. And, you know, having... Uh, having a full-back at defensive midfield and a very, very, basically nobody to create anything for them. These are all factors that have played into a lot of these low-scoring games. Um, so, yeah, I agree with Tim. It's, it's not something to be panicked about, but it is a little shame there wasn't a bit of a blockbuster entertainer. I remember Dynamo Moscow scoring was it 7-2 on the opening day about three or four years ago. <laughs> um Tim you know, and, and scored. It was yeah. it. I think Kukorin scored a hat trick that day or something. Yeah, it was um, just just offside, I think. Yeah, you know, I mean that that a game like that. I don't want to see every game like that because then it's just well. I do like to see defensive football when it's played well, but I'm not too worried yet. But like Tim says, if it continues too much longer, then it starts to be a little bit concerning. Well, the timing is bad. I mean, Zal, you mentioned this. The timing is really bad because you mentioned the attendance numbers and um, CSKA's away game at Krilya Sovietov. That was, I mean, the um, grab the stat from uh, Eurostats. Um, I heard, I also heard somewhere 44,000 for the first game. Uh, for the, the Samara Arena. Um, either way, you know, um, attendance in the region of 40,000 for a game of Krilya Sovetov. This is a club that's well supported, but at the same time doesn't, hasn't drawn attendance numbers like that in quite some time. Now, of course, um, in that case, people will probably be positive about the result, right? Because CSKA finished second in the league last year. Andrew is quite right. They lost a lot of key players. Um, Golovin, of course, last week to uh, AS Monaco, a huge transfer that we probably want to touch on a little bit later on. Um, do you think that after one match day, this could already curb the enthusiasm of the crowds or is are people going to be more patient than that? Well, to, to a degree, I guess it wouldn't. It might do anyway. There might be people who think, well, let me just go along once. And uh, regardless of whether my team won or lost or didn't, like it that much so i'm not going to go back it was you know the world cup was quite different um but yeah of course i mean if there's a lot of games where there's few goals you know and you go and see let's use Krilia as an example you know and the next game is a nil nil as well they've, they've got orenburg at home in the next game mm-hmm. um but you're going to start to see those those figures wane aren't you i mean i think they will anyway as the, the weather gets cooler and and maybe as the the, the league starts to settle but you know it's an opportunity, isn't it, for clubs like this? And, you know, a great new stadium to play in as well. I mean, if it's going to happen in the, you know, outside of Moscow and St. Petersburg, if it's going to happen anywhere in a big way, you know, it's going to be Rostov War, I would say, Samara. Samara was always a club, I remember, you know, back from the 90s, early 2000s. They still had decent attendances. You know, they were they were out, out attending, if that's a, a word, a lot of the Moscow sides at that point. So if it's going to happen anywhere, it will be in a place like that. But yeah, a couple more games and, and you know, if, if the football's not great and there aren't many goals, naturally, yeah, things are going to drop off, I think. I think the winter is really going to be the time when we can really see what impact the World Cup had. Because, I mean, yes, um, Tim, you alluded to this. It's really nice and warm in Russia at the moment, right? So the weather is great. So people are more likely to go to football. Um, you saw, you mentioned the numbers at uh, FC Rostov. Um, 27,975 yeah. is the official number that I've got here. That's, that's very good. Um, I believe the World Cup arena post World Cup holds 35,000. So not quite sold out, but, um, close enough. Um, Spartak, of course, good attendance as always. Um, that's not a big surprise. We kind of expected that at the Otkite arena. But yeah, I think really the, the big test will be the, the winter time. Um, what's going to happen? Once it gets cold, are the new stadiums going to have an impact? And I think this is something that we chatted a bit about before the World Cup, right, Andrew? That what what are these new stadiums going to do in terms of when it gets cold? And I mean, in the end of October, beginning of mm. November, going into December, right? That's really, I think, when we when we really need to look at the numbers and see what kind of impact those stadiums have. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, that that is the real test, and I I do think they will have that sort of impact uh, because I mean I I used I spent three years in in Yekaterinburg going to 
the SKB Bank Arena, the temporary ground, well, the, the training ground converted to stadium, and it's completely open. And it's it's a typical undeveloped Russian stadium, completely open, unwelcoming, not in a great part of town, and the attendances were dreadful for that. Um, but even then, you see, and that held 10,000, when Spartak and Zanit came, it was sold out. There was one. There was one of the one of the two in the last two years, which was in December, and even then it had a good, uh, good attendance. So, I'm certain that we will see an improvement um, because one of the main things that is absent from a lot of the stadiums that have been replaced by World Cup arenas is the coverage. I mean, literally just a covered stand. Um, very few of the old Soviet arenas actually had any coverage at all. So, that's going to make a difference. Um, so. I, we will reserve judgments uh, until the winter period, I think. And I certainly think we will see an improved numbers. So that's that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, let's stay with you for a second here because um, Ural, of course, had their home game. What's the latest on the floating stands, Andrew? Well, the, the, the last I heard um, was that there is a potentially a bit of an impasse about the stands uh, because, I mean, as we all know, they are... Uh, rather odd looking, but because they were designed that way, so it would be cheaper to dismantle them. Um, and the city government and the club, uh, they, I mean, again, this is only going from a couple of contacts I have near the club, that they are at loggerheads as to who ought to be paying for either all or at least some of the deconstruction. Now, I was led to believe the entire process would be around $50 million, which is very, very cheap, I'd say, to get the ground back to well, what the plan is. Um, now, I know the club certainly doesn't have that sort of money on its own, and realistically, it shouldn't be the club at all um, who should foot the bill, uh, in my view. So, uh, but that's, that's the latest I heard, and I imagine this is going to be one of those things that will probably take a lot longer than it should, because, as we know, this is Russian football, and if if uh, deals can be profited from, they will be, um, and I'm certain that will be the case here. But... That's uh, that's the latest I've heard. And um, when I get back to Russia and I go to a game, I'll try and find out more and hopefully get an updated view view on that. Yeah, because that that is one of the most interesting stories. Because people went onto into the stadium and um, sat on that on those floating stands, as I like to call them. Of course, they if you have not listened to us in the past or you're unfamiliar with the Yekaterinburg Arena, um, then you probably have lived under a stone. But I'm going to explain it anyways. There's two stands on either end that are basically reaching outside the stadium. Um, this was done so that after the World Cup, the capacity can be reduced. Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong, 25,000, right? Uh, I think it's 23 or 25, yeah. yeah. So that they basically can go from 35 to 25,000. And also preserve the, the outside of the stadium, which is uh, a protected um, facade, right? So um, the problem is, though, of course, that will cost money. Although I heard that the, the um, two outside stands are going to be used to basically create two new facilities in the Russian countryside and two smaller towns. That's a story that I was told at the, the World Cup by a reliable source, so I trusted um, but I guess the, the question always is money and um, how long it's going to take. So I guess we'll have to, to watch that one. Um, the other attendance number that sticks out um, a little bit, Tim, and I want to go uh, to you next for this one before, before I go back to Andrew with a different story. But Tim, Ruben Kazan, 13,800. Um, the Rubin Arena in um, Kazan, that's a big stadium. I've been there, um, not the most joyous occasion in the, in the world for me because that was, of course, Germany's exit at the World Cup. Um, what do you think is the reason why those numbers are so low? Well, because it's been a problem for many, many years that people in Kazan, they don't really fancy football. Uh, they follow hockey and that's, and that's the number one team in the city. And, um, yeah, just the, 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 the people just don't really care about 
about the the football uh, i mean as a population of the town and that's the problem that she has been uh for a very long long time even when rubin was champions they didn't have crazy attendances and it was they still had the old chair the old stadium the sold out games they had a couple of times when barcelona came and when inter i believe came so when when the people didn't come to see to support their club when people came to see messi or a big big football club so it's it's been a problem and uh, we have to ask those questions to the you know to the marketing department of rubin football club because the team definitely in the past years have been maybe not in the recent years but it's definitely one of the best clubs in 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 Russian leagues, in the in the Russian league, but um, people just really they have the beautiful stadium. They have a, a decent team. Maybe not in like I said, not in the recent years, but there's some something to follow. They have a club coach who is a legend in the city, yeah. and there's you, you can you can attract people to that. And uh, but at the same time, I'm not sure why that, that what has been done they tried to do free attendances and that's kind of you know what i'm afraid with other stadiums right now everyone is high on the uh, world cup but we can see when rubin built their new stadium and when they played games in the winter the attendances were um, somewhere between five and ten thousands and it, and it looked very very dreadful when you see uh teams playing on the frozen pitch uh, on a beautiful empty stadium it doesn't look very good so um, this is my kind of worry what will what might happen at some world cup cities with that that's kind of the the negative side to, to give you an answer to be quite honest i don't know i think we need to ask the questions of the marketing department of rubin because i yeah maybe they don't do enough there i think the location i don't, I, I know they don't do enough yeah and the, the location of the stadium isn't fantastic either. Um, they have a brand new metro line that goes straight through Kazan, but um, you actually ha- you can't take the metro to to the stadium. You have to take a metro, and then you can either walk for three and a half kilometers or you have to take buses. Um, so that's not exactly the best place either. It's kind of it's past the Tatneft Arena where the the hockey team plays, the, the Akbars. So it's, yeah, the location, I think, and that's, that's something that bothered me already during the World Cup. And I think post Comfort Cup is something that I've already discussed on this podcast. Um, it's something that's, it's not great. Yeah. And of course, one of the, the big stories is, um, Yenisa's attendance and that's 10,724. And, um, they did this playing away from home at the, um, at Cuban, right? Saul, and that's against your team. Um, those are good numbers given that this is at the, the geolog in Tuman. Um, and <laughs> jokingly, yeah. uh, pretty much everyone in the town showed up for this one, it seems. Um, ha ha ha. Very funny, Ronnie. Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> mate, but that had to well, be done. Um, it's better than the attendance that Tuman got. And I'm pretty sure you want to touch on that, Sal. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it appears that for the last. I don't know, I think it's about 25 years. It's been 1,500 week in, week out. So, yeah, it's, it's a very good increase on that, isn't it? But, um, you know, would have been 10,725 had Andrew been in town. But um, that, that'll see yep. an increase a bit later, I guess. But, no, I mean, it, it's when you think about it, it's basically two away teams because we, we're talking about a fair old distance. It's not like just playing down the road, is it, for either of those sides? For two away teams in the first game of the season, that's not bad at all. It seemed like there were a lot of Zenit fans there um, from across Siberia. I guess it's a chance for them to see the team that they, they don't normally get. But as well as, the you know, you need to say the home team as well. The good numbers too, it seemed. And it sounded like, watching it, it sounded like a decent atmosphere in the ground. Um, I mean, just briefly, just touching on grounds and attendance generally, if I could. One thing that's really kind of, springs to mind to me looking at the different arenas there are is regardless of world cup and numbers dropping off dropping off because of cold weather there's real potential there that there wasn't before you know the number of teams now playing in large arenas you know 40,000 35,000 plus arenas is quite staggering it's you know it's, it's a lot and it I'm kind of thinking back to when I first started following Russian football and Lokomotiv Stadium, the Chakizova kind of stood out as being a great stadium, a big stadium. Now it's just, it's kind of down there. It's not one of the biggest ones at all. So regardless of everything else, there is a real potential there and that potential is going to stay. It'll be really interesting to see what happens, not just this year, but the kind of coming five and ten years. The potential is certainly there. 
Imagine if you could shop the shelves of all your local liquor stores at the same time. Well, spoiler alert, you can with Drizzly, the number one alcohol delivery app. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly is giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code SAVE5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I would go along with that. Um, and I'm pretty sure Saul is quite right. Andrew, the attendance numbers would have been 10,725 if you had been there, right? This is one of the games that you missed. Now, at the same time, it is pretty impressive that so many people in Schumann showed up for two teams that basically no one really supports um, in Schumann, right? Because there is a team in Schumann. Um, that's an impressive number. Well... Actually, I, I would make a slight correction to what you just said. A lot more people in Chumen will support any than Chumen themselves, and that's that's one yeah. of the problems for the Feniel level um, is that people have, for various reasons, a lot of migration of populations has happened in the last fifty years or so. So families who have moved a lot for oil. Chumen um, is a centre of oil production in Russia, and their families will have come from bigger cities for for specific reasons and they follow the big teams it's that's what you know the soviet union uh you're you've done a hell of a lot of research into that manu um yourself so you'll know what i mean by that yeah um and the the truth is that you know we can joke about the lower tenses in the faniel but it is a it is a serious problem um the attendance numbers in chumen as i saw <laughs> rightly pointed out for since the beginning of recorded attendances have been 1,500 in Schumann, regardless of, partly because they're so embarrassed that they know three-figure attendance figures. And I'm not exaggerating. I really mean that. Six, 700 is by a fairly accurate headcount. And I mean, I can count the heads. That is how bad it is. Uh, that's fairly common uh, in the Faniel. But look, I mean, you talk about the facilities and the World Cup facilities are fantastic and so rightly points out the potential for growth in that area. Um, the Geolog Stadium, I know I'm biased as hell towards my hometown team, but it is by far the best facility outside the World Cup Stadium um, and the top flight and has successfully hosted uh, Zenit uh, five years ago. A game Saul will remember very, very clearly when they were completely outplayed by <laughs> third-tier <laughs> FC men in the Cup. Oral oh, right. Kachenberg, you know, Oral, another team. They were displaced. Their stadium was being rebuilt and they stayed up when Fyodor Smolov was on loan. That was in Tumen for four or five games. Uh, it's a regional centre of excellence. You know, um, uh, Tim, you have a new player you've stolen, cruelly stolen from Tumen's squad this season. Um, uh, Pavel Maslov, who I believe will be in Spartak Double team, yeah. he's been developed here. You know, all of these facilities in Chumen are just begging for a first team just to boost the interest. And maybe, maybe this is something that will kickstart it. Uh, Tiscar come to town uh, in 10 days' time, when again, I won't be there, and the attendance will be 1,500 afterwards for Chumen's game. But these are things that can kickstart not just the Premier League. No, yeah, absolutely. I think that is some, definitely something that, that could kickstart not just the Premier League. Just looking, you know, through all the matches and attendance numbers, one team always does well. Tim, and that's your side. Um, I, th I think the Spartak fans are just remarkable in, in that regard that they, um, have one of the highest attendance in 36,672 against Orenburg. Now the match itself, not the greatest, as Saul suggested in the WhatsApp chat. Um, Tim, what's your opinion on Spartak's first game of the season? 
Well, I was very happy with the result because at this point of the season, it was very important to get three points. Orenburg um, had 11 men behind the goal and it was very, very hard to break them down. Spartak didn't play, play brilliantly, but I think that was absolutely fine for the first game of the season. I would I, I would be more worried if they will be flying right now and then, you know, then just... It was a it was a decent victory. Nothing really crazy happened. Uh, the our new signing, um, the new the new center defender Jago scored the early goal, but which really really helped. And uh, but Arimburg also they were impressive. They were um, fairly well well organized for a new FNL promoted team. Um, it wasn't the, the best game in the world, but for me, what was important was to get three points. And to just to move to, to, to move to move forward because uh, Sparta has a very very tough calendar in um, in um, August. We're playing against um, Lokomotiv, Zenit, Krasnodar, and we're playing two Champions League games and also a derby against Dynamo. So it is it is going to be a very tough uh, month for us at the beginning of the season. Then the calendar gets uh, supposedly slightly easier, but there will be either Champions League or Europa League games. So it is it is important to to get points against teams like Arenburg because that was the issue last season and it wasn't an issue when we became the champions. So for me it's a good sign. It's it's exactly what Lokomotiv done last year. They won all those games against the lower ranked sides and they they won those zero zeros with their one awkward goals and that's what happened this season. Uh, sort of this game against Edinburgh. So I'm very, very happy. Uh, we have a good squad. We have lots of um, interesting new players coming in in the, in the squad. And uh, for the first time in the past probably year, everything is good in the club. In the team, everyone is happy, everyone is quiet, uh, and uh, there's no issues in, in the club. So I'm very, very happy. And your new signing squad? Yeah, yeah, Jago, yeah, yeah, the the new defender. Um, I've seen, I've, I've, I've watched a couple of preseason games, and he always played um, in in those games, and he looks like a very, very impressive player. So we'll, we'll have to take a look, but looks like we made a very good signing. But you know, again, you can't judge a player, a central defender, by scoring a goal. We he needs to do mm-hmm. a little bit better in in the back. So we'll see. But he he was impressive. He was very physical. Good, uh, made a couple good, really important tackles, and yeah, I, I was impressed. Um, never heard of this guy before, so hopefully he'll become the new good player. Maybe, maybe one of the best defenders in the league. Hopefully, um, Saul. Of course, they played Orenburg, which is pretty much a sister club of Zenit. I know they took the the Gaswick out of the the name, um, the Gazprom sort of to make sure that there is no clash of interest, but they are pretty much a sister team. What did you make of this game? Yeah, I was I was lucky enough to be able to watch the whole of it at the weekend. And I, I thought, yeah, Spartak looked kind of functional. It, it was a workman-like performance. I think Spartak looked very comfortable in defence, actually. I mean, Orenberg did have their chances and they, they, they kind of sat behind the ball, but they tried to counter. And, I, you know, Spartak looked very capable of dealing with it. I can't say the same about Zenit from their game, actually. They looked a little shakier at the back. I think my only kind of concern, really, from the, the Spartak point of view was up, up front, you know, they did have chances. They created good moments, but I'm just never quite sure about them in attack. It was, they, they didn't look particularly clinical. I mean, Zelouish there, you know, had a, some really good chances that he squandered. Yeah. He had a great chance, a great header that was saved really low down by the keeper but otherwise you just felt like is he the right man if they're going to win the title is he the right man or do they need someone else who's a little so, more so i think the right man is luis adriano who was injured for that game so yeah fair fair point yeah yeah fair point but i mean otherwise they you know they look good it was a good functional performance and as you say it's all about um winning those games maybe not playing particularly well winning them getting the three points in the bag and that's what champions tend to do isn't it you can't be brilliant every single week yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. This is this is this is this is the game. You know, I'm not saying it's the game of champions because that claims that Spartak will be champion, but to win those those games is very important. And uh, like I said, we won those in the champion season, Lokomotiv those last years. So it's 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 crucial to win those what we can call a mediocre game. Yeah. 
Yeah, you make a good point though, because um, Locomotive of Chaos in their first game only zero zero to Ufa, and as Andrew suggested, only because they missed a penalty in the last minute. Now, um, Tim, you playing, you playing them next. You mm-hmm. playing Loco next, and that's the first first Moscow derby of the season. Um, Loco signed Benedict Hovedes. Um, the second big signing because give me last week we talked about Krichowiak and that's you know Hovedes didn't have the best year in his in his life last year playing for Juventus he went into the Serie A season injured um, as a new signing never really got off the ground um, and then when he did finally play yeah, he scored an own goal and a goal and um, never really managed to get get himself established in Italy. Um, as a result, the loan to buy clause never got activated and he had to be got sent back to Schalke where there was no more room for him either. So he's now going to Locomotive Moscow for 5 million euros. It's a typical Eric Stoffelshaus signing. He's he's done something similar with Fafan, right? Another former Schalke signing. Um, and I mean, in some ways, it's something similar to Krichowiak that he basically gives Simin fancy broken toys that he then can repair and then reuse. Um, Lokomotiv have done quite well with that strategy since Stoffelhaus has come in and seeming come back. Do you think that the result, that 0-0 draw on match day one, isn't great, but yet they still got somewhat lucky and with Hervides to bring in another new signing? Um, do you think that's going to give them an advantage in the derby? Uh, oh, good question. Well, we, we first of all, we need to see if Krihoviak and Hervidas would play in the derby. Uh, because I'm not sure, like, Hervidas just arrived and I'm not sure in which conditions he is because I'm not sure what was with his preseason and where was his preseason. Uh, Krihoviak, I assume he will play because he, tra- he already, I think, training with the team. In terms of just overall, I don't know, it's hard to call a favorite in the derby, especially that early in the season. But um, I think... I think I kind of follow up what I said last season. I don't think it will be. I don't think Lokomotiv will be um, contending for the for the trophy this year because just again, kind of what what's happening with the club based on the, uh, the Super Cup and based on that game last year they would have won this game uh, because they had their chances. Farfan has just uh, had just an unbelievable chance. I have no idea how he didn't score. He was um, probably a few meters away and he had a a header in an open goal and he missed it. So, you know, this is what they were, this is how they got the, the, the trophy last year because they were, they were scoring those chances and they would, would have won that game against Ufa. But right now with Champions League and with the squad they have, uh, even it will be improved with those players. I still don't think uh, they will be contending for the trophy again, but they will be up there. I'm pretty sure that they will be somewhere around Europa League. And, uh, but this, this, has nothing to do with the derby. The derby game is always different, uh, difficult, and I don't even know who to call favorite. We have to see because it's it's too early in the season to even understand in which form teams are. And sometimes in, in derby that doesn't even matter in which in which form you are. Um, but I'm curious to your your opinion. You slightly touched on uh, Hervidas. Uh, from what I read, he had. He obviously a great player, and you know his history and his trophies talks about it. But he had eight official injuries and two surgeries in the past year. So what's what's the word on that? How's his uh, you know situation of his health? Yeah, I think he's he's healthy at the moment, and he did play the pre. He did work with Schalke at the preseason. It's just mm. clear that Domenico Tedesco, the, the head coach there, didn't didn't plan with him anymore. Which is, I mean, it's hard because he is a club legend. He's a homegrown player, right? He has he's played for Schalke his entire life, and when he had offers in the past, didn't um, didn't take them and, and decided to stay uh, in Gelsenkirchen instead. So this is this was a bit of an, a nasty divorce in some ways. I think he is fit and I think, I think this is a very good signing for Locomotive. It's a very, very good signing. If Hervidas is fit, then, um, he will definitely walk into the squad. And when you look at the other defenders that they have, Quickvillia, of course, um, walked off with a red card in the, the Super Cup, right? And, um, Chaluka. Was it Chaluka? 
No, no, I mean like another yeah. defender. Yeah, yeah. Another defender. Craig Willier, really, we walked off with the red card. Yeah, and Chaluka, of course, not a good defender, plays for Croatia, right? The Croatian national team. So I think they can form a good partnership. The one downside is that 12, per- 12 players now in their squad are foreigners. You can only feel mm. six, right? Um, I did the math. It's 46.1% of their, their squad is uh, foreigners. And that's a lot. Uh, Dmitry Selok, the agent, Russian agent, infamous Russian agent, uh, Yaya mm. Tura's agent, um, shot out a tweet yesterday saying that it will only take a, will only be a matter of time until the dressing room at locomotive, I quote, explodes. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I'm not sure if Hervidus is the kind of player that will make a dressing room explode. He's, he's not that kind of character. So we'll, we'll <laughs> wait and see. Um, but I think this is a good signing for them. Um, and I think that he can make a difference and I think he, he can play on the weekend against Spartak. So that, and which would be, of course, interesting. I mean, this game already has, has so much to offer. Um, it's a, a nice Saturday fixture. And it, so, 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 so won't play because he got red card. So it's going to be Cherluka Herbidus if they play. Wow. No, no, he, um, the red card, yeah, I, Super I've Cup. been told, has been cancelled. Yeah. But the game against Ofa, didn't he, hang, didn't he get the, the red card against Ofa? Uh, no, it was against uh, Ceska and the Super Cup. Oh. So. No, he, he's, he's going to be, I, what, I, what I've understood is, it, it's um, a lot of people are asking about that. And because I believe was he not also sent off in the last league game of in the last, last season league, as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think somebody put out a tweet which I thought was hilarious that he's going to be the first person in history to be sent off twice in two successive games, but not be banned for either, um, which is quite an achievement. <laughs> oh yeah, he he got the penalty. Sorry, yeah, him and Guillermo. Got ah, the that's right. Yeah. yeah, he did get sorry. sent off twice. Yeah, yeah. That, that is quite a significant achievement. But yeah, um, Andrew, what's what's your prediction for this game? First big derby of the season. Um, it will be goals, I reckon. You know, it's, uh, well, like Tim, Tim said, Tim's not sitting on the fence at all on this. I, I understand exactly what he's saying and I agree with him. It's very, very hard to call. Um, I actually, I'm not entirely sure I think there will be goals in this one. Um, I think, I mean, I'm not just saying it because the first round of games is low scoring, but there's just so much at stake. This, this early in the season, yeah, okay, you've got the rest of the season to come, but you want to make at least, or you want to avoid your rivals making a statement over you. So I think safety first, while there's a few new players to bet in. Um, honestly, I think it's going to be very close. Um, if I really have to stick my neck out, I think, sorry Tim, I think Loco just purely because they're at home. Um, they're marginally, marginally improved with their signings that they've made. And for me, what might swing it is if, I'm just going to say the Polish chap. You know what my pronunciation is like, fellas. Um, if he plays, and Hervidis, if those two play, then I'd say, or they're available at least, I'd say they might might just about nick it. I, I don't see it being high scoring, unfortunately. I'd love it to be, but I think it would be caution first and possibly loco to nick it. I'm saying high scoring. Controversial. That's what we've... <laughs> controversial. Sorry, yes. Tim. Sorry, Tim. I, I should be more supportive of you there. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm saying high scoring because that's, of course, what happened last year, right, Saul? That was the, the famous 4-3. What's your thoughts on the game? Um, so when we talk about high scoring, are we kind of in the context of 1-1? 2-1, is that high scoring? No, no. I mean, lots of goals. <laughs> proper goals. All right, proper stuff. Yeah, I mean... Just, just looking at this Lokomotiv squad, I mean, it's obviously going to be even tougher for Boris Rotenberg to to get a game now, isn't it? In defence, um, maybe he'll. <laughs> do you mean? Do you mean Russian champion Boris Rotenberg? Yeah, he's but he is. That is. He is. He's a foreign player, though, isn't he? He's actually yeah. Finnish because he played for Finland. And then you were talking about Kvergvilia there. I'd, he was previously linked in the summer with Leicester City. Um, I'm a Leicester City fan, so I kind of keep a close eye on the news there. And we're desperately still in the market for a defender, so it could be that he he ends up going anyway. But certainly, yeah, I, I was really surprised how it is as a, as a signing. I remembered him from the World Cup, the previous World Cup, and thought, wow, it's a little bit like Farfan as well um, when he joined. Mm-hmm. So there's some they're making some really astute transfers, I would say, Lokomotiv, without spending silly money. In terms of the the weekend, though, I'm going to go with Spartak. I think if it's not nil nil, that is. Um, I'm going to go with Spartak to, to edge it. I just think they look so comfortable when I saw them at, at the weekend. Um, Lokomotiv, 
yeah, you know, there's no reason why they won't do well, but they've got a couple of new signings to bed in there. So I think, for me, Spartak are just going to edge it. Oh, Tim is going to be a fan of you coming back. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just want lots of goals and I'm going to say a high scoring draw. That's, um, I'm going to be completely neutral just to, to even it out. You all probably know what I'm going to say. Well, I know <laughs> what you're going to say, so I'm not even going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> But you can give me an exact scoreline, Tim. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm saying high scoring draw, like two, two, three, one, Spartak. Oh, three, one, Spartak. Uh, uh, why am I not shocked? We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll see if that happens. Um, but boys, the one question that is everyone asking ahead of match day two is, and I mean, they did manage to travel, um, to Ekaterinburg, but the question is, are Angie going to find enough money for plane tickets to fly to Ufa? Because the latest that we hear from Angie and don't we just love that club? You know, the, the, the crazy guys from Dakistan oh. that are just like producing one headline after the other. Are they going to find enough money to travel to Ufa? Because the latest is that they are around 300 million rubles in the red and that they were completely dependent on the Republic of Dakistan sending the money and the Republic of Dakistan has said, no, we do not, you know, private entities have to finance themselves through sponsors. And they did put in non-illegal means into the statements. I, I thought that's quite telling considering that it's Dakistan. What's going to happen with this club? Is this, is this the end? I mean, we have an article up on footballgrad.com where I'm outlining everything that's happened, but Saul, is this the end of Angie? Are they going to do an AMCA on us? Are we going to have to finish the season with 15, 15 teams? Or are they going to sort of wriggle themselves out in, out of the situation in typical Anji Mahachkala, uh, manner? Uh, one would hope so. One would hope they're going to be able to find the money from somewhere. I mean, it, it's a sign of what happens, isn't it? When there's big overheads and you're relying too much on people that maybe haven't got the money, you know, and it, it absolutely makes sense, doesn't it? Within the region, there's got to be other priorities than paying footballers wages. I, Don't disagree with that, but it's such a, a roller coaster of a club, isn't it? You know, looking back five years, Goose Hiddink was still the manager, wasn't he? Just about. Um, they've been third in the Premier League the year before. I get the feeling that they will finish the season. It's been a long time since a side, I don't know if ever actually in the Premier League, a team has dropped out during the season. But whether they'll be able to carry on next year is, is another question. Um, even at the you know, the next level down at the FNL level. I was uh, making some notes about this a bit earlier, and with Ankar going and, and Torsnell going as well at the end of last season, I'm wondering whether we're starting to see a pattern here. Um, and I'd be interested to hear what the others think about this. Is it a, a time where the, the money's getting so big and it's getting so expensive that the sides that want to compete even at that level just, just can't do it anymore outside that kind of top 10, top 12 sides? Yeah, Tim, we've discussed this many times before because a lot... Uh, Country, of course, completely dependent on state money, right? And this is a great example of what happens when the state decides for well, budget. There's changes in government and therefore the budget isn't there anymore. Um, it's a great example of what that means. And we, when you look at the region, two other clubs, Spartak Nalchik and Alanya Vladikavkas basically have disappeared, um, or play in the lower leagues now, right? For very similar reasons, basically the Republican government's deciding not to spend money anymore. So this, this is, this is definitely a pattern here, isn't it? Yeah, there is. And uh, until the recent time, their um, recent owner, Suman Kirimov, who is a very wealthy man, he was, um, helping them with, uh, with, um, some of their, you know, some of their finances. But at the same time, uh, from what I understand, that completely stopped this season. And this is where the problems are coming from. Uh, it's, as a situation from what I understand is very, very bad. Like there, they have lots of debt. There's no money coming in. And, um, really there's, it, I, I, there's no, really understanding how they're going to finish the season. Usually, yeah, the Russian teams usually find the way somehow to finish the season through the through the government or somebody gives them money and they are able to finish the, the season, but it doesn't really look, look good. And from what I understand, my 
the kind of jokingly view that they won away at Ekaterinburg is just because those players, they understand that the end is very near. So they're trying to really show off in that month while the transfer window is open and hopefully get signed to a different club where they can actually make money and play, you know, with a little bit of future. Uh, I'm not sure how, how much truth, truth is that. It's mostly joking, but I'm thinking, you know, maybe maybe there is something in it because really there's the, the future is really uncertain for that club. Unless really some someone from government comes in and makes the government... Uh, Dagestan government give them money. I don't really see the the way for them because really they they struggled to find the the, the money for the first trip away. Now they they still struggling to find the money for the second trip away. It's a very very displeasant situation. Mm-hmm. And um, from what I understand, it's really you know so one of the re- reasons why Soliman Kirimov completely left Dagestan club is because he really saw how it's all done. We all understand that you know, in Russia there's a certain bit of corruption and when the money comes in, everyone tries to get their hand on the piece of that money. And that's what I understand. That was the issue with Anji because there was way too much of that in the past from what I understand, allegedly. But really, it's it's it really looks like, uh, unfortunately, another Amkar story and uh, it's very, very sad. I tell you what, when Anshi, when there's a decision made on Anshi's future, we'll do an hour-long podcast just on them because <laughs> there is so much to tell. There will be enough to talk about. There is so much we can talk about. I mean, the entire Caucasus region is a, worth a podcast in itself. It's it's crazy down there. Um, it really is. You know, it's one of the most pred- unpredictable areas, perhaps in the world, because you imagine all these nationalities living there and then um, all the chaos that's going on there and all the corruption and Karimov, of course, he wanted to become president of Dakistan, right? And um, thought that Anshi could be the vehicle to achieve that. So sort of a little bit of a, like a Berlusconi of Dakistan and didn't quite work out that way. And then the money stopped. It's yeah, it's a, it's a crazy story, but unfortunately we don't have that much time to, talk all about it so when we maybe in the next couple of weeks when we know what's going to happen with Anshi we need to do an Anshi special um, completely just talk about everything that happened there but next I want to talk about Sunit because um, that's your team Saul and we have you on here so I want you to, to, to chat about Sunit Sunit of course uh, the absolute opposite of Anshi um, it's usually a quite a well-run club although there is always something happening there as well just because of the I guess the wealthy ownership with Gazprom They've signed a new chief scout in Javier Ribalta. Uh, sorry, the former Manchester United Juventus chief scout Javier Ribalta signed as a sporting director. Um, that's all fits in, in the rebuild that Sadiq is going, currently going under, right? Because they have to get rid of a lot of players. They sort of have to make the team fitting to Semak's image. What do you make of Sadiq this season? I'm, I'm very pleased with what I've seen, actually. Just because, you know, I, I kind of fell out of love with Sadiq few years ago when all the money started rolling in and and it looked like the only strategy was a bit like when you you know you play football manager and you you pay that 10 pounds or whatever so you've got unlimited funds and you just like well let's buy someone else and let's buy someone else it's not working so it's really good to see that they've gone with someone who looks to be a really solid coach with a lot of potential you know someone who knows the the, the russian league of course very very well someone who commands a lot of respects from fans and from players alike and also they've not gone they've not gone crazy with the money either they've not brought or they've not bought anybody yet they haven't really brought in a lot of players as i I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago on football grad about it and to me as i said then it's it's like when simak took over he was like a, a child who's got way too many toys suddenly um but a sensible child who's got way too many toys and thinking right which ones am i going to ebay and which ones am i going to keep hold of and actually start using properly and to their fullest. And that seems to be what he's doing. I imagine before the transfer window, we might see another signing or two, certainly in defence, I think, is is where someone's needed. But you've got Duba back, you've got Shatov back as well. You, so there's a couple of really good players there who are basically like new signings compared to what there was last year. Um, in terms of Ribalta, I don't know too much about him, actually. Certainly he seems to have done some good work at Juventus previously. He was only at Man United for a year. But you could kind of see that working well in terms of having someone who knows Europe well as a sporting director, working with a manager who knows the Russia and and the Russian market well. I know, Andrew, you mentioned about um, Ribata a bit earlier on today. Have you had much chance to have a look at him and 
again, idea of whether he's going to be any good or not? Well, I mean, I think the the main thing is what what you mentioned there, Saul, is is his record at Juventus. He was there for I think it's four or five years or something. Um, I mean, the the obvious transfer. I mean, there were many, of course, that he oversaw, but the obvious one that stands out that everybody would be aware of is is Paul Pogba, who yeah. who was at United through the youth system, and everybody laughed about how Manchester United sold him for around a million pounds, I think it was, little more than that, and paid about 90 to get him back a few years later. But the reason why I mention that, not because it's an obvious name, but because Ribalta clearly saw, he looked at this player and thought he was a troublemaker in the United Youth System. He was getting big for his boots and that's why he was moved on. But Ribalta thought, well, I can still work with this guy, or at least I think the club can. And he's been proved spectacularly correct in that point. So he is clearly somebody who's got a good eye for the character of a player. Now, I think what will be interesting is that at Zanit, I get the feeling he'll be given, well, not feeling, he, he will be given a lot more responsibility and control over transfers than he has or was last season at Manchester United, where the, um, the director, Ed Woodward, is basically clueless on football, but um, he's very much into branding. His, his history was at Nike um, before Manchester United. So he went for big-name players without thinking, are they really going to fit in? Whereas I think Rebelta, with more responsibility, could be an absolutely top, top draw addition to Zanit's backroom staff. So personally, for me, that's um, I think it really could be yet another reason why Zanit, for me, uh, are going to be favourites this year. Yeah, favourites, Sol. Would you agree with that? I've got two teams I think that, that are going to win it. I, it's either going to be Zenit or Spartak. They're my top two. And now, you know, Lokomotiv with this new signing, I'm, I'm not sure, you know. You, you look at him and you think he's far fun. Is he getting on a bit? Well, I thought that last year when he did really well. So I'm, I'm reluctant to write them off as well. So there's maybe three teams that are in it. What I really hope at Zenit is that if, if things don't work out and Zenit end up in fourth place, say, um, the, the leadership there don't lose patience with Simak and they give him time. I think he's someone, he's a, he's a, he's an intelligent, thoughtful, well-travelled, actually, um, individual who knows, knows football inside out. And as I say, he's got that respect. So I really hope that we see a, a change in direction. And it's not just if it's not working out, you're out the door. I hope that they will give him time and... If not this year, then I certainly think next year, if they if they stick with Simak and, and keep things moving forwards gradually and carefully, I think they'll win it for sure next year. I know that's, that's a big prediction to make at this time, but that's what it feels like. It feels like there's perhaps a longer-term plan in place for once. But uh, maybe as the final poll points all, can Sinead really afford another year without Champions League? Afford, well, in, in the sense that they've got a shed load of money, yeah, they can afford it. Um so I, I would hope that they would be able to live with that. Certainly me as a fan, I could live with that if I thought, you know, I'm not saying we're going to have a kind of Man United, Alex Ferguson dynasty going on here. But um, there was a good example of where, you know, a team stuck stuck with the manager for a little bit and it really reaps, reaps the reward. So I, I hope that they will stick with him. And that's me speaking as a fan, not just as, a, you know, a Russian football follower. I really hope they will. Yeah, I think it's, I, I just can't see... Um, the management being patient enough to go without yeah. another year of, of Champions League football. I think because yeah. when you look at financial fair play, that's a big issue, isn't it? True. Yeah, true. So it would make it difficult to do much next year as well in, in the transfer market. That's true. But this is, it, it's Semak we're talking about. It's someone mm. who will, you know, he will stick around. He's got that respect that, you know, maybe Mancini had it superficially, Villas-Boros had it superficially, yeah. but once the wheel started coming off, that soon evaporated. I don't see that happening with Simak at all, actually. Certainly not this season, anyway. So a sense of optimism, I guess. Absolutely, yeah. And a sense of a bit of stability as well. You know, there's any that I really loved was the one around the turn of a century when they got um, Petra Jeller in, mm. Czech manager. And they, they stuck with him and they, they developed some of the local players. You know, you saw Kozhakova Shavin coming through Malafia. And it was a wonderful time to watch him because there was that sense of stability and that there was a, there was a bigger picture here. So I really hope that we come back to those times, if nothing else. You know, and that's a perfect way to end the podcast because I always want to end on a positive note and we definitely got it there. Um, Saul, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you online? Where can people find you on Twitter? Um, what are you up to the next 
until you come back. <laughs> well, it certainly won't be another 18 months. No. I, well, I'll be up to an awful lot between then and 18 months. But um, I'm on, you know, I'm on Twitter. I'm always following the, the Russian league. So I'm easy to find. So I'm probably the only Saul Pope in the world. So I'm just at Saul Pope. Um, and obviously I do bits for football grad as well. If you're in England, I do bits for when Saturday comes, the, the magazines, you can get copies of that. And, and I'm in there from time to time. But yeah, the best way is just, I guess, to follow me on Twitter and I'll be keeping up with my regular updates on Russian football. Yeah, definitely. Go follow Saul Pope on Twitter. Um, Andrew, how about you? What have you been up to? Uh, well, actually, today I've started a brand new job um, where I'll be writing and editing for a relatively young group of websites. So I'll be focusing entirely on football now, which is great. Um, I'll be on Twitter at Andrew M.I.J. Flint, and I will post everything I'm doing there. I'm doing some previews already. I've got the Ufa away leg against Dom Jali, um for tomorrow night. That's, uh, that's up already yeah, I think, that's on up. site. Um, and I'll be doing some more video work as well, something slightly new for Football Bread as well. So... Um, To possibly today or tomorrow, I'll, I'll put a little video up previewing round two. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Tim, how about you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter, RussianTim61, and on Instagram, Rocket from Russia. This is me. Fantastic. Yeah, and I can be found, well, everything that I do is at FootballGrad Live. There's podcasts, the other podcasts, all the articles, and you can follow me at ManuelVeth. Well, boys, until next week. Das wird dann. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.